short uh, video that I think uh, everybody here can probably relate with uh, as we try to prepare our hearts um, for Christmas. So before the message, I want y'all to watch this video. This is me confessing. This is me admitting. This is me trying to turn around. Trying to turn around the thing that happens every year. Because this. This is where Christmas begins. Dear Christmas. It's not you. It's me. Every year you come around. And every year I hope that I'll have peace and joy and wonder. Every year I place my hope in the gifts you ask me to buy, but I still feel empty. Every year I chase after the seasonal traditions you bring, but I never catch up. Every year I organize my family gatherings that you encourage, but I still need to belong. They're all good things, I know, but they're not the best things. So maybe this is where I go back. Maybe this is where I go back to where it all really begins. It begins with a timeless story that happened in real time. It begins with a baby boy born to a humble couple announced by a proclamation from heavenly angels to lowly shepherds. It begins with a word that dwells among us and becomes the lamb that dies for us. You are God with us. You are God for us. And you are God refusing to abandon us. So Christmas, you're here, but I'm here too. Tired, but wide awake. Wide awake. To you. To this. To all of it. Because this. This is where Christmas begins. Anybody relate to that? Sometimes Christmas is here and uh, we're not quite ready for it and stuff, junk going on in our lives kind of keeps us. So uh, what we want to hope to do this morning is, is like those folks did is, is try to go back to the, to the very beginning. Well, James uh, shared with y'all last week the, the meaning and historical significance of, of Advent. And like I said, some of you, Advent might be familiar, um, how you were brought up, the tradition that you were raised in, that might be something familiar. Oh yeah, I remember lighting the candles, I remember that. Um, for some of you, it may be something new, something you don't know much about, uh, that you have heard of maybe, but whatever the case, I think we would all agree that throughout human history, when we need to remember something, when people want to remember a certain event or certain events, or they want to remember certain people or a certain person, that there's certain things that have to be created intentionally and creatively, uh, whether those be practices or customs or tradition. And this is done so that the significance of what happened, those events or those people or that person, won't ever be forgotten and they can be passed on to the next generation. And we all need to go back and be reminded from the beginning sometimes of, of how did that start. And his, history is, is very helpful to us as we try to remember the past 
and either not repeat that or maybe sometimes it's something that we absolutely want to repeat those foundational beliefs and values and those are important. And we understand that. We've just come off of Thanksgiving, right? And we all participated in and intentionally participated in uh, a lot of traditions and a lot of things with our family and with our friends um, that reminded us to, to be thankful not only for, for where we are right now in our lives or what we have in our lives right now or what has happened in our lives this year, but also to reflect on those folks that originally started this country that we live in. And we try to reflect and be thankful for those folks and that went before us, the sacrifices they made and to establish this country, to establish the values and the freedoms that we have today. And we're grateful that there were people that went before us, so we try to remember that. Yesterday, I don't know if anybody thought about it, but uh, during Thanksgiving I actually watched a um, documentary on Pearl Harbor, and yesterday was December 7th. You know, you remember um, the president at the time said, a day which will live in what? Infamy. We remember that, and we need to remember that. A lot of people died serving our country, and it was the beginning of a very awful thing that happened, World War II, and we got into it at that point. But we need to remember those things. They're important to remember those dates and how it all began. So it's understandable that when we think about the creator of the whole universe, God, becoming human, becoming human and dwelling among us, Moving into the neighborhood, as the message says, always like that. It's important for us to think about that he came to live on earth the same way that all of us did, through the womb of, of his mother, just like all of us came into being. But he came in order to save all of humanity from their sins, and it's hard for me to get my head wrapped around that to realize that God really came to save all of us from our sins from the beginning of the world till whenever the end of the world will be. And you think about all the sins of all of humanity through all history. He took those upon himself. That's why he came to the world. So here we have it. We need to make and establish in intentional practices and customs and traditions. And so we have an Advent wreath here that reminds us the evergreen of of, of plants, the, the light of the world, the flame of the candles that remind us that Jesus came into a dark place into humanity to light up the world. We have a cross behind me that reminds me of what his ultimate goal was to save us through that cruel cross. We have wreaths. We have a tree out in the lobby. We have a manger scene out there. Man, that's one of the best manger scenes I've ever seen in my life. I love that manger scene. How many of y'all put your manger scene up? Have you done that? And that's important. As you take those out and you unwrap them every year, you take it out of the box and you start placing those, it makes you go back to say, what was it like? What was it like when Jesus was born? And you put down Mary and you put down Joseph and you try to arrange them. Do you arrange them the same way every year? And then you start putting in the shepherds. What was it like for them? You start putting the sheep. And maybe you bring in the wise men. I mean, we all know they didn't come for another two years, so you know, you're not really being biblical if you have them in there. But that's okay. Just kind of move them away from the, the manger scene a little bit and make it like they're on a long journey, okay? You can be biblical like that. But as you lay out all those things, whether you do it on your manger scene or in your front yard or whatever, or you pass one that someone has in their yard or at their church, you think about Mary and Joseph, don't you? You think about that night and all the things that took place, the angels and the shepherds and the wise men, a young couple having their very first child in a very difficult situation. As Kevin said, man, there was conflict going on. 
not only in having a baby, but having to travel. They traveled several hundred, maybe a hundred miles or more to go to Bethlehem, and that was hard. And there was conflict in the world at that time. Rome was the, the ruler, but Israel was under their thumb, and they didn't like it. They sensed the conflict. And a lot of those things in, give us visual images like the candles and the manger scene. But Jesus came into the world, and a lot of those things that he came into were very common and ordinary. I mean, a, a man and a woman having a baby, that's pretty common and ordinary, right? That happens all the time, every day. Someone is born into the world. A census being taken. I hear that they're going to do that in 2020 again. We're going to take one in this country. A census was taken. That's kind of common. We've been counting people and figuring that out for years. Shepherds tending sheep. You know, I don't have any in my yard, but I have chickens. We've seen, you know, that there's people that still herd sheep all over the world. Anybody wear anything wool today? Yeah, still, still going on, you know. So that seems very ordinary. But on the other hand, some of the things that happened at Jesus' birth were very extraordinary. A couple having a baby may be ordinary, but not a couple in which the wife was a virgin and the husband had no physical part of the pregnancy. Huh? How'd that happen? And you try to explain that through the, the, the word. It says, the Holy Spirit, this will come about. But it happened. It was extraordinary. A census that took place, and yeah, that might be ordinary, but a census that took place that brought the birth of this special baby who would be the savior of the world, that would take away the sins of the world to the specific place that prophets hundreds of years ago had predicted would be in that specific spot. That's extraordinary, isn't it, when you think about it? When you think about shepherds who were certainly very ordinary in the grand scheme of the hierarchy of the um, uh, Jewish hierarchy. They were at the very bottom. And why would the announcement of the special Savior to the world be brought to them by an angel of the Lord and then by a great company of heavenly hosts? That's extraordinary. Those guys would never, ever, ever forget that for the rest of their lives. So the meshing of the ordinary and the extraordinary has been something that God has done all through Scripture. He takes the ordinary things but he brings ordinary people and ordinary things and ordinary places. And with him and his plans, he makes it extraordinary. And I love to read about those things in the Old Testament. I think about an older man who seemed to be very ordinary. At about 75, God called Abram, who would later, he would change his name to Abraham, to be the father of a nation who would bless the whole rest of the world by his offspring. As he's looking up at the sky at night and says, look at all the stars, Abraham. I'm going to bless all nations through you, through your seed. And he's going, what? I'm, I'm 75. This is crazy. And eventually, he did do that through Sarah, who was past the age of having a baby. And at 90 years old, she has a baby, and he's 100. What in the world? That's crazy, isn't it? But God made that extraordinary. How about an ordinary slave boy named Moses who's pulled out of the river by an extraordinary daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt, and she decides to make this baby her own and raise him as royalty but eventually we know he was banished from that royalty from that extraordinary life in the Egyptian empire he's banished to the desert and what does he become an ordinary shepherd for many years till God calls him back to an extraordinary life even though Moses goes kicking and screaming he goes no you will be the one that helps free my people you're going back to that royal place where you once lived and you're going to call Pharaoh out and it was an extraordinary journey that God sent him on and the people of Israel. How about an ordinary shepherd boy named David who 
when they were going to anoint the next king. He wasn't even at the meeting. Do y'all realize that? Jesse had all these sons. He go, ah, he's not going to pick David, so you just stay back with the sheep. And this ordinary shepherd boy, David, takes on the extraordinary task of fighting this giant of a man, this seasoned giant warrior of their arch enemy, the Philistines, Goliath. And he takes him on, and he not only wins the fight, but the respect of many people. And God would lead him, this ordinary shepherd boy, to be an extraordinary warrior, not only for Israel, but to liberate them and later be a king who was after God's own heart. An ordinary Jewish man works his way up in the Babylonian Empire, ultimately to be the cupbearer of the king. And basically, when you're the cupbearer of the king, you go, let me taste that before you do, just in case somebody put any poison in it. What a great job, huh? But that's what he was, and he became very close to the king. And one day, he makes this extraordinary ask of the king. He goes, hey, I want to go back. I hear what has happened to the land of my fathers and my grandfathers and all of those who went before me. I was born here in captivity under Babylonian captivity, but I hear it's torn down, and I want to go back and rebuild that, be a part of my heritage. And the king miraculously, extraordinarily, God gives the king, says, yeah, what do you want to do? What do you need? And Nehemiah goes back and leads a great rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, which brings hope to his generation that had been seemingly lost. And I could go on and on, and as I say these, y'all remember these characters, I'm sure, but you can you think of more in the, in the Old Testament that were very ordinary people that God says, but I'm going to do something extraordinary through you if you'll just follow me and be faithful. Well, after the Old Testament and all those stories, we knew there was still, the Old Testament is basically saying a Savior is coming. We don't know when, and we don't know where, and we don't know how, but we know a Savior is coming. And you would think there was this 400 years of obscure silence between the last page of the Old Testament and when we get into the first page of Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and then John, the Gospels. There was seemingly this 400 years of silence between the two Testaments or the two covenants. But God was not silent. God was planning all along through ordinary and extraordinary things and bringing about what was to happen. And again, he would use a cast of characters that are seemingly that would seemingly go unnoticed in this new covenant. But I want us to look at a text today from Paul's letter to the young um, Galatian church, the young uh, Jesus followers there at Galatia. And it might seem a little odd this time of year using this, but I think you'll understand why as we read it. But Paul's writing this letter out of a concern that the ordinary old covenant was those practices were sneaking back into the new covenant that Jesus came to establish. And Paul recognizes this, that the extraordinary damage that that can bring is, why are you going back? And more than anybody else, Paul knew this. He goes, man, I was a legalist. I was all about the old covenant, the old law, and obeying it. Matter of fact, Paul tells us there was probably nobody better in the world that could obey the law and knew the law than I did. And I somehow thought that would bring me meaning and purpose and identity in my life by following all the rules and criticizing everybody and pointing out everybody that couldn't keep the laws. But God showed me that it wasn't about religion. It was about relationship. And I really didn't have a relationship with God until he struck me down on the road to Damascus. And he did something extraordinary in my life and transformed the old way, the old covenant into the new covenant in my life. And now... He says God had called me to take this transforming message to the world, to the Gentiles, the ones that for so long in my life were, they're not good enough. 
God doesn't really care about them at night. God says, yeah, actually they are. They always have been important. And you're going to be the guy that's going to take the good news of great joy to them. So I want us to look at chapter 4 of Galatians, uh, verses 4 through 7. If you've got your devices or your Bible with you, you can turn to that. We're going to have it on the screen as well. But listen to what Paul says. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. What a great passage. Paul is reminding them, but he's also reminding us today, y'all, of something very important, of some of the things that people need reminding of. The ordinary coming of Jesus is not really ordinary, and it is to extraordinarily redeem us. And guess what? I need redeeming. You need redeeming. We all need redeeming. We needed Jesus to come into the world. As, G- as James said last week, Jesus needed to come because our life needed purpose and meaning. And without him, without that part of the story, the extraordinary part, we would have missed it. Redeemed. Now, I don't know about y'all, but redeemed, does that sound like some word you use a lot? You know, redeem. What is that? Am I a coupon? I need redeeming? What does redeem mean? That seems to be kind of an archaic word, Craig, that Paul used. But if we change the word, instead of redeem, if we said liberate, would that get your attention? Do you understand when somebody needs to be liberated for something? You think about, I mentioned Pearl Harbor Day yesterday, and we think about eventually we had to get into the war and liberate what was going on, this terrible dictators that were trying to take over the world by evil. They had to be liberated. A lot of people did. Or if I use the word deliver or rescue or restore or save, maybe those help us grasp the extraordinary need we have when it comes to our relationship with God to be redeemed, to be saved, to be liberated, to be delivered, to be restored to God, not only here and now in this life, but in the afterlife. It all matters. But life can become ordinary, can it? Just like that letter that those two were writing in the video. It can become ordinary. We can get distracted from things that are most important by the things that we get deceived into believing that will really bring us meaning in life, and we get attached to those things. And I think about right now, some of you are listening to me, but not really, because just like at Thanksgiving, you're thinking about Christmas right now. You're thinking about, oh my gosh, I still got so-and-so to get a present for I've still got to get this. I've got to ask, you know, Grandma to make the ambrosia or make the ham or whatever. We're thinking about, oh, I get it, man. I'm thinking about it as I'm standing here. Like, i got a lot to do before December 25th. But we can get sucked into that and forget to, ma- to make what really matters important during Christmas. But here's the deal. It can become ordinary. Christmas can become ordinary. But it's never ordinary. It can never be the same. You go, what do you mean it can never be the same? It comes on December 25th every year. And you pulled out that same Advent wreath last year, Craig. Those are the same wreaths you had up here last year. That's the same tree in the lobby that you had last year, isn't it? Yes, it is. But it's different. You put up the same manger scene. That same manger scene was out there last year. You put up the same manger scene in your house. Some of you didn't even take the lights off. You just pulled the thing off the tree and put it up again, didn't you? And that's okay. But those things still help us remember. 
But it's never the same, and it was never intended to be the same every year. Yes, we may do some of the same things every year, and year in and year out. We might eat the same things. Man, I love the things that we get to eat at Christmas, don't y'all? We have all those things, but they're all done. And here's why it can never be the same. They're all done, y'all, listen, with another year of life experienced attached to each year. You are not the same as you were last December 25th. Because from December 25th till now, there's been a whole bunch of things that have happened to you in your life, haven't there? And to my life. We've all experienced a whole nother year of things. And this is what I love about our phones. I can pull my phone out and go, flip, 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 flip through all those pictures that have happened in the last year. Can't y'all do that? And you go, dang, man, there's a lot of things that have happened in our lives. Now, we didn't take pictures of all of them, thank goodness. But we've all experienced things that are important. You know what my wife does? This is a great thing. She does this with our kids at Christmas. She makes them get on their bed at the end of Christmas Day and pile all, at least we did when they were little, pile all their stuff on their bed and take a picture of it. So during the year we go, I never get anything. Go, oh, wait a minute, let me remember what you got. You can steal that idea if you want to, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or whatever. So yes, you did get a lot of stuff on December 25th. Now you may have broke it or lost it or it ain't fun anymore, but you got it. You got it on that day. But all of the things that we have experienced in a year give us a different perspective on the coming of Jesus this year, don't they? They always do. It does for me. It does for you. We can't help but reflect on those as we prepare for the revival of Advent and Christmas. So Paul is reminding the Galatian Christians, he's reminding us that there was a, a time set for God to bring Jesus into the world. God set that time. I don't know why he set that first century to be the time that Jesus would come into the world, which again appoints to the events and the characters of the Old Testament. During their lives and their events, as extraordinary as they were, when I think about Abraham and Moses and David and Nehemiah and all those different characters, extraordinary as they were, guess what? That was not the right time for the Savior to come. Moses would have argued, yes, it was, but Moses was not the Savior. David was for a purpose. They needed liberating, and David helped liberate Israel, but he couldn't forgive sins, could he? Nehemiah did a great thing in restoring the wall and bringing hope, but he was not the ultimate hope. The walls were not the ultimate hope, because guess what? They'd be torn down again by another enemy eventually. They needed saving just like we did, so the time wasn't right. I don't know how God knew that, but he did that it would be at the right time. And some of us might think during our lifetime, Jesus needs to come right now. Y'all, he's already come. He's already taken care of our biggest problem. We think he needs to take care of stuff right now in politics or in power of the world. This nonsense that's going on in our government right now. Like, could Jesus just please show up at the hearing and set them all straight? Would that not be great? I would love to see that. We weren't expecting this guy. But you know what? As much as I and my human frailness would like that to happen, Jesus has already come. He's not going to come in our time. He didn't come in the Old Testament. He came at just the right time that God appointed, that God set. And y'all know it wasn't actually December 25th, right? Everybody knows that. I hope I'm not busting anybody's bubble. Jesus was probably born in September, maybe late summer, early fall, probably. If you have a birthday in September, you're like, all right, Jesus really had a birthday in September. But that's probably, and there's reasons you can look that up. It's very fascinating. But the reason, as James told us last week, in the third or fourth centuries, people said, look at all the paganism that's going on during these winter festivals that were going on all over the world. 
Where is God in all this? And so the Christians, the Jesus followers of those times says, we, we need to do something to bring God into these pagan festivals. We can't stop them, but we're going to start our own remembrances. And they started things like Advent candles and all kinds of different customs to say, let's celebrate the birth of Christ. There's nowhere in the Bible that says we need to celebrate the birth of Christ, is there? I don't know, Craig, is there? No, there's not. But they did it, and I'm glad they did because we're practicing it today. Every people, every generation said, hey, we do need to remember the birth of Christ, that at the set time that God brought him into the world, it was for a a purpose. But regardless of the month or the day that God has set a tradition, the church set a tradition for us to celebrate that. The reality is it was exactly at the time God set it when he brought Jesus into the world, no matter if we get the exact date that he came. Paul reminds us that ordinary people in Galatia, y'all were born from a woman. You came out of your mom's tummy just like the rest of us, and so did Jesus. That's how he came into the world. He was born under the old covenant, under the old law, just like we were. But Jesus was born to redeem us from that law, from that old covenant that could not save us. And that old law was important. It was significant. It helped people understand what was right and what was wrong. But all it ever did was point us to remember that I blew it again. I blew it again. I couldn't keep the law. I couldn't keep the law. You couldn't keep the law. Nobody could keep that old covenant. That's why a new covenant had to be established. And it had to be established in a perfect sacrificial lamb, human, named Jesus Christ. And that's why he came to the world. And not only to save us, but Paul tells us to adopt us. Think about that for a minute. He came to adopt us. God saved you so that he could adopt you and me. If you were here a few weeks ago when we did Orphan Sunday, we heard great stories. We heard from Michael Andrews who talks about his parents, Mark and Lisa, who adopted him. But what if Mark and Lisa had gone all the way to India and saw that he was in this orphanage that he talked about, and yes, some of the people loved him there, but he always wanted to be out of there. But what if Mark and Lisa had, had taken him out of that orphanage and, and, and saved him from that orphanage, but then say, good luck, Michael, see you later, and walked out of his life? That's not adoption, is it? That's saving, but it's not adopting. But they took him, and at 30 years old, Michael was telling us how great he remembers that experience how excited he was that not only came to rescue him from that orphanage but that now he had a mom and a dad that were going to take him into their home and raise him as their own and at 30 years old 30 years old he still realizes how much he needs and appreciates his mom and dad you heard about jeff and alicia talking about the best christmas present they got that year was dalton you remember him saying that they didn't just take Dalton out of this crazy environment and dysfunctional family was in to go, hey, we're going to save you from that, Dalton, but good luck. No, they said, we're going to bring you into our home and you are now going to be our adopted son and you you are now an heir with us. Their lives were changed because of that. And that's exactly what Paul is saying God has done for you and me, y'all. He's not just saved us. He didn't just come to the world to save us, but to adopt us and bring us into his house, into his home, into his life. God didn't just pull me out of drowning from sin and go, Craig, now, all right, you're out of sin, now stay out of it. Do better. Good luck. Pop me on the behind and see you later. No, God says, I adopt you as my son, as my daughter. He didn't say, Craig, I'm going to unloose those chains of sins in your life, and then I'm going to say, good luck with that, Craig. Now do better, work harder, try more. 
He said, no, I've saved you so that I can adopt you as my son or my daughter. So I hope that you understand what Paul is reminding the Galatian church and he's reminding us to y'all, y'all, that we are no longer a slave. Do you realize that? Say it. I'm no longer a slave. That's right. You are a child of God. Say it. I'm a child of God. Okay? And I have been made an heir. An heir. That means you're an heir. You're a benefactor. You're a recipient. You are an inheritor of all that's God's. All that he has is yours. And Paul is frustrated with the Galatian church because he sees them slipping back into that old covenant. He goes, why in the world would you want to go back to that? I live that, y'all. I tell you, it's not a good life. You can't earn it. You can never do enough under that old covenant. So be under the new covenant. Live like a child of the Creator. Now let me go back to that video we showed earlier, Dear Christmas. About halfway through the video, did anybody notice that one of those people were right-handed and one of them was left-handed? I see a few heads nodding. I'm a nerd. I notice things like that. But about halfway through the video, the writers say, maybe this is where I need to go back to what? To where it all begins. And they open up the Bible and they start talking about Jesus. And I think for us today that we need to go back to where it all begins. When the set time that God established had fully come, God sent his son. And so this Christmas, this Advent, I think we all need to do that. I would encourage all of us today that we too, as we enter into this season that's so special to not let it become ordinary, we need to go back to where it all begins. And that's why we have to put out the manger scene and remember Jesus being born. And whether you're here as a high school student today, a middle school student, it matters that you go back to the beginning sometimes during Christmas this year. It matters if you're a little bit further along, a young adult maybe just starting your career. It matters and it's important for you to go back to the very beginning this Christmas and remember Jesus' birth. If you're an a adult well into your career and maybe killing it in your career and you're so wrapped up in your career and you're doing a good thing and, and, and God's blessing you, whatever, but it's still important for this time of year for you to go back to the very beginning and remember Jesus' birth this Christmas. Or maybe you're a retired person and you're enjoying that retirement. It's still important for you to go back and remember Jesus' birth from the very beginning. We all need to do that, don't we? It helps us reflect and remember. Reflect on our true identity, that I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. He has adopted me into his family. And now I'm an heir. I'm a benefactor. I'm a recipient. I am an inheritor of all that is God's. That's what he's given us for Christmas. So maybe there's someone here today that needs to maybe claim for the first time your identity as a son or a daughter of God. That's why Jesus came into the world. I wrote down something on one of the bulletins, and I think I lost it. But it's one of the songs we sang today. Do I have it? Do I have it written on there? Maybe I stuffed it in my pocket here. It's all right. It's all right. I don't have it. But I thought about those songs that we sang this morning and, and, and how important those are at, at making us reflect. That one song, come and see what God has done. I think God said God saved us so that we could have a second birth. That's what I was looking for. Remember that in that one song? God saved us to have second birth. And that second birth is adoption into his, into his family as a son or a daughter. So this morning we're going to offer an invitation and maybe you need to 
claim for the first time that you're a son or daughter of God. And we're going to give you that opportunity and be baptized into him if that's something you do. Or be a part of this church where we say, hey, we are a family, but we realize we are all adopted because of what Jesus did from the very beginning to bring us into his family. So Kevin's going to lead us in a song. And um, as we do that, I'm going to ask you all to stand right now. If somebody has a decision, if you just come forward, I'll walk you through that. But also we're going to reflect on a time of communion and we'll walk through that in just a minute. So let's sing right now and if someone has a decision, just come forward at this time.